0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we have the pleasure of having Rivas L. Gertman with us. Now, Rivas is a proven educational and business leader He demonstrated tremendous leadership skills and dedication during his eight-year tenure as principal of Eufaula Elementary School. Mr. Gertman's prowess as an instructional leader is well known throughout the region and around the state. He is respected for his inquisitive mind and his ability to challenge the status quo with thought-provoking questions and ideas. Revis's skills were developed and tested early on at EES. In his first year as principal, the school district went through a comprehensive reconfiguration process combining students and faculty members from multiple schools. This rigorous process helped him understand the importance of trust, communication, and relationship building. Mr. G, as he is affectionately called, along with critical members of his leadership team, completely redefined the culture and climate of EES. He did so by building strong and trusting relationships throughout the school and community. He communicated openly, honestly, and often with all stakeholders to develop a collective vision for the school. Now in his second year as an executive vice president of the Liberty Learning Foundation, Revis's leadership skills have soared to even greater heights. His role has allowed him to grow as a leader by learning new skills, building new relationships, and developing meaningful connections with school leaders and stakeholders from around the state and beyond. At his core, Revis is a visionary and true believer in the power of influence yielded by servant leadership. His faith in God and his family are most important to him. So welcome Revis Gertman. How are you?
2: I am great, Lily. Wonderful to talk to you today.
0: Same here. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners?
2: I've wanted to take advantage of this opportunity, getting to know you and getting to know others like yourself has really helped me want to grow and develop more in terms of my own leadership. And so I'm just extremely grateful for this opportunity.
0: Great. So are we. So, Revis, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now?
2: My path to leadership is probably unorthodox a little bit. I don't know that I set out to be a leader. I grew up as the youngest of four, and so I was always taking direction. You know, Were I was they always all
0: sisters. <laughs> I
2: had two sisters and a brother. Okay. So I was always taking direction. Not well always,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but that was kind of my mantra. Mm-hmm. And as I began to grow and to develop, I was fortunate enough to be around some really great leaders, some really great people in our community. Mm-hmm. And even as I was beginning to contemplate a career choice, I wasn't always sure in terms of what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But I noticed that there were certain people in my life, teachers, coaches, counselors, that had really done things for me. And I said, I want to do that for someone else. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to give that experience to someone else, help someone to develop their full potential. And that's really what I set out to do. And that led me into education, into teaching, into coaching. I have spent over 15 years in public education as a teacher and a coach and as an administrator. The last eight years of that, I was principal of Eufaula Elementary School, mm-hmm. which was a wonderful experience for me. I got to do a lot of cool things, a lot of new things, a lot of leadership and growth development, really. Mm-hmm. And over the last couple of years, I've been given a wonderful opportunity to help and to grow a nonprofit organization called the Liberty Learning Foundation. And we provide civics education, character education to elementary and middle school age students all over the state of Alabama. We talk to children about the importance of having pride in themselves, pride in their communities, ultimately pride uh, for our country. And we teach them about the things that have made our country great in the past. And we're trying to still pass on those lessons to children now in this Mm -hmm. day and age.
0: Well, that's great work and it's much needed, especially now.
2: Absolutely. There could not be a greater time for this to be happening when you see so much things going on on the news right now. And Mm -hmm. so we're really trying to get kids vested back in their community to say, all right, well, I am a citizen and I have all these wonderful rights and privileges, but what does it mean to have ownership of my responsibility as a citizen? What does that mean for me? What am I called to do? And we're trying to teach them those things, and it's truly, truly going well. We got started back in 2010, and we've got nearly 50,000 kids all across the state of Alabama participating in our program right now.
0: I can't help but wonder if we had This type of program in place a while ago, the type of leaders that we would have now would be awesome. Oh,
2: tell me about (laughs) it. Tell me about it. It's been wonderful to see the growth of children, you know, from first or second graders now as they are in middle school, entering high school that are participating in our program. It's been wonderful.
0: Awesome. Okay. So Revis, how would you describe your leadership style?
2: I would describe my leadership style as somewhat transformational. It's been interesting, as I have learned and read more, obviously, dealing with you and then studying John Maxwell, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. One of the things that I learned about me in reflecting mm-hmm. was that probably one of my strongest skill sets has to do with the law of connection and being able to connect with people
0: You see, I'm (laughs) smiling. You're spot on because we first connected via the mastermind group. And I saw that you lit up when it came to that chapter in the book.
2: (laughs) And I think that ability has enabled me to try to inspire the best out of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Getting to know people and what sort of makes them tick, developing relationships with people on different levels, it just sort of depends on people's willingness to connect with you. And I think that leadership style, being able to connect with people and being able to inspire them to work towards a common goal has really helped me to grow and develop. And that's probably one of the best ways that I would describe my leadership style.
0: So you mentioned transformational. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean to you? Like, how are you a transformational leader?
2: when I mentioned the term transformational, obviously it's multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And for me, it goes back to my personal experiences, most of them at our school. My first year as principal, I found out that we were getting ready to consolidate our school system and reconfigure it. Did you know and that before you took the job <laughs> on? I kind of had an inkling, yes. Okay. And so we brought in people from all over the system, three different schools under one roof, Mm -hmm. and talk about a process of transformation. Mm -hmm. It was really a culture shock for some, Mm -hmm. and we had to all come together and grow together to do what was best for the children. And so I learned throughout that time and throughout that process what it's like to really grow a team, how culture is impacted by that and how important trust is, and developing relationships, because we really had to build our process together. Mm -hmm. And I think through being able to bring people together and give everyone a seat at the table to be able to talk and discuss and have some dialogue about what's important to us, we were truly able to transform our school. And so that continued to develop as we grew. And we even developed a transformational committee, I guess, if you will. And Mm -hmm. so we started small with a group of a few people that I had some of the best relationships with that I could trust as professionals. And that group just grew and grew and so did the momentum. And before you know it, Lily, everyone was on board and we began to see tons of changes for the positive, not just in the ethos of the community from the learners, but from the students as well. Kids beginning to take ownership of their learning adults beginning to take ownership of their professionalism and having some accountability and some standards where this is how we behave and this is a standard that we're going to set for our students
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that translated into the community because our school and i was told several times from people that visited this place just feels different you know it just kind of feels like i want my school to feel
1: oh, and wow. I, that's great yeah.
2: and i think we were very intentional in that we went about it But it was a byproduct that we really weren't always looking for. But it was certainly something that people noticed when they toured our school.
0: That was a great first year of growth, wasn't it?
2: Yes, it took a (laughs) while, but it happened and I'm excited about it.
0: So I want to jump into that question. How do you build or sustain good teams?
2: Well, I tell you, I heard from a wise mentor of mine, the importance of trust. Mm. And she said that trust is the work before the work Mm -hmm. and I think that as leaders we have to be transparent we have to be honest with people so that they can trust us Um, because we're asking them to go on this journey we're asking them to sacrifice and to give of themselves and people are unwilling to do that without that trust foundation that is built Mm -hmm. and so I think that it begins with us understanding as leaders that this is my responsibility I have to be consistent in my approach. I have to be honest in my approach and I have to be transparent throughout this process. One of the things that I learned in going through this process is that I got my teachers to take a survey
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and it was really asking them what they thought of me. Mm -hmm. And so I had to sort of come off of my high horse a little bit and say, (laughs) "Okay, you know, and I've learned this about perception, you know, perception may not always be true, but it is certainly always real. Mm -hmm. And I think that people typically sometimes get caught up in the perception. And one of the things was because our district was one at the time for having lots of different meetings. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times I would be pulled away from campus during the instructional time during the day. And I wasn't able to have the hands-on approach in the building that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes teachers perceive that as me not being interested in what they were doing or not being present. And I wasn't one to go to the teachers and say, well, hey, look at my list of things that I have to do so that I can explain uh, what my role and my responsibility is. But through that survey, I understood that some of them perhaps wanted to know that Mm -hmm. so that they could then say, okay, well now I understand a little bit about what he's having to do on a day-to-day basis. We were able to grow from our superintendent, and then we began to understand that principals need to be in the building. Principals need to be in the classrooms, They need to be in the hallway. Again, I used the word present. They need to be present. They are many times the biggest shape and influence of that school. And so going through that process of developing trust and transparency was huge. But as I mentioned earlier, I tried to start with a small group. We had three teachers originally that began this process with me mm-hmm. that quickly grew to five. Mm-hmm. And then we began to have meetings and it wasn't like we were being secretive, but people began to say, well, what is this and who? what is going on? Why are they meeting? Why are they talking? And that sort of began a recruitment process. Other teachers started recruiting other teachers into this whole new idea of transformation at our elementary school. And all of a sudden, like I said, the momentum just began to build and to build upon itself. And before long, the culture and the accountability was so high within the group that it wasn't always being led by Revis. There were teacher leaders that were developed throughout that process. And they began to hold each other accountable to that very high standard Mm -hmm. of professionalism and of character. And this is how we're going to behave This is the way that we're going to teach. And there was a lot of unity that was developed in that process as well.
0: Well, Rivas, that speaks to how you empower those around you, which speaks to your leadership. I have a big smile on my face because I'm very inspired by your story. So can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why?
2: Wow. Wow. There's a quote, I think it's from John Adams, that talks about if by your example you inspire people to do better, to want more, and to become more, then you are a leader. Mm. And I certainly believe that. But to me, there is an opposite end of that spectrum because you can also inspire people to want to do less and to want to not have that example. And I think you're just as much as a leader by doing the opposite. And so, in listening to that quote and understand what both ends of that spectrum means, it helps me to better understand my influence as a leader. And, and we responsibility, know
0: responsibility, right?
2: Absolutely. Because we're either leading people the wrong way or the right way. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's very, very introspective and very powerful. And it makes me want to examine what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. Wonderful. That's one of the most meaningful quotes to me.
0: It is pretty powerful. Yes. Now, Vivas, what type of leader are you inspired by and why?
2: I am inspired by a leader that trusts me.
0: Mm, why?
2: Because when I am trusted, I am probably the freest to be who I am just naturally
1: mm-hmm.
2: without having to have my guard up and wondering, okay, is there some ulterior motive behind the scenes from this person? I'm inspired by leaders that ask good questions uh, that require me to think and think constantly about what I'm doing and why it is that I am doing it. But most of all, I am inspired by leaders that trust and empower me. It's kind of, I guess, similar to what I want to be. You mm-hmm. know, I try to be the leader that I want to be. And it's been those type of leaders that have inspired me to be my very, very best. When I think about me when I have been at my best, it has been because I've been around people on a team where there was a lot of trust. It doesn't mean that we always had to agree about what was the best process, but it meant that we were free to express our opinions. And at the end of the day, we would be shoulder and shoulder when we walked out of the room Mm
1: -hmm. and it
2: wasn't going to be fingers pointed at anyone. And Mm -hmm. so when there's that type of trust that's there, I think I'm at my best.
0: You know, I love that. That speaks to me, trust being Mm -hmm. the foundation of leadership, because you blossom. And I see, you know, the freedom that you're talking about also means that you can take risks. Right. Right. Yeah. And you can gain a lot and you can make mistakes. And that's so powerful. And also you're setting an example for the students that are around you Um, when Mm -hmm. you're a risk taker, when you're someone who is free, that shows them that they can be the same and they can do the same. And that's really powerful. I love that.
2: It is. It almost makes me want to ask you a question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when you think about it, Mm -hmm. We know this and we understand this, but I think there are lots of leaders that struggle with this idea of trust and transparency who feel like maybe if I am completely vulnerable, then my weaknesses will be exposed and therefore I won't be able to lead as I should. And I just wonder why so many people struggle with that concept or idea, if that's something that you agree with.
0: I do agree that a lot of people struggle with that. And I think what's difficult can be influenced by issues in their past that bring up fears. And, you know, being vulnerable is not an easy thing. And then you have what Brene Brown calls vulnerability hangover. But to live in that freedom, it's so worth it. There's nothing to hide. You're who you are, and take it or leave it, that's me. And that's a wonderful (laughs) thing. Unfortunately, most organizations their foundation isn't trust, you know, and this is why we're doing what we're doing. It's a process for sure, but mm-hmm. it starts with one step. It starts with a realization that you need to grow, that an right. organization needs to grow. So I hope I answered that question.
2: It's something that I'm truly passionate about. Okay. And I think having these types of conversations and dialogue helps me to try to help others.
0: What I know about you is that you're very curious in that learning mode. And I love that about you. So, Revis, what's the best advice you've ever received?
2: Wow. The best advice I've ever received was to be me. I was coming into a new job and a new opportunity. And quite honestly, there were other people that were brought in at a similar time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people had different experiences from me. They were published authors and things of that nature, things that I wanted to be, Mm -hmm. hoping to be or aspiring to be. But there were unique things about me that made me an attractive candidate for the position. But I said, I want to do that. I want to be like that person. Mm -hmm. And I sat in a conference one day and I listened to one of the presenters talk about the importance of being who you are. What's interesting, Lily, is probably the best jobs career-wise that I've had. I've never had to interview for. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the way, somebody saw me being me and said, That's the guy I want for this job. And I think that when we are true to ourselves, then we don't have to worry about being phony Mm -hmm. or having to pretend for someone else, because if you are true to yourself, then the right people will be attracted to your original self and you don't have to worry about that. And so for me, that was very comforting to know that all I had to do was to be me I'll tell you one quick story. We were at a meeting one time and I was told by one of my coworkers before the meeting, hey, why don't you go and say something inspiring to us? You know, give us something inspiring. We need that charge. On the spot. Right. I don't know how to do that. What do you mean? And so I spent about 20 minutes prior to the meeting, Googling something, trying to figure out this trick. What could I do? This gimmick that could be inspiring. And of course, I couldn't think of anything. When one of my other partners and colleagues had this wonderful story that he told, you know, or a great little question that he asked, and I was like, man, why can't I think of that? Well, by the end of the meeting, I simply told a relatable story about an experience that I had. And when the meeting was over, they said, thank you, Rebus. You gave us exactly what we needed. We needed that inspiration. I was going, OK, well, if that's what you meant, then that was just me being me. I wasn't trying to pretend to be something that I wasn't. And I think if people will truly believe that, because we all are given gifts. No one person is the same as another person. And I think it's our uniqueness that makes us who we are.
0: I love that because it also says that you are enough.
2: Yes. That is
0: pretty powerful. Yes. All right. So Revis, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life?
2: All of our lives are full of challenges, aren't mm-hmm. they? I guess in some way or That's another. Sure. And we have to make up our minds not to have a victim mindset to really be that of an overcomer. From a professional standpoint, and this is interesting since we've talked about trust so much, right. I think one of the hardest things to do is to deal with people that are not trustworthy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. particularly when you're in a work environment. But one of the things that I've learned is... People sometimes that aren't trustworthy can still be trusted because most individuals sometimes at the core, I think, don't want to do anything to self-sabotage themselves. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, what I mean by that is sometimes we can be trusted to do what's in our own best interest. Mm -hmm. And you have to find ways to make sure that the interests are aligned so that you can get the best out of different people in certain circumstances. Now, of course, you want to grow and develop individuals to be the best that you can be and to become trustworthy. But that has been a struggle for me in my career is dealing with people that I felt like I could not trust. And so I've learned to try to figure out ways to say, okay, well, I know what they want and where they want to go. Ultimately, let's make sure that our interests are aligned in a way that I can get the best out of them. At that particular moment. That's been something that's been tough for me from a professional standpoint.
0: You know, that's really thoughtful. I've not heard that before. Most people, when there's someone who's not trustworthy, will just Mm -hmm. cut them off. Right. right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you go your separate ways or, you know, there's so much strife that's created. Mm -hmm. But you're speaking about trust. So if I'm a trusting person and I choose trust, then mm-hmm. that's intentional. And right. so, sure. you know, I love that perspective. I've not heard that. And I think there's a lot of conversations that could come around that, a lot of thought that could come around that, and a lot of growth as yes. well. Because yes. people think, well, if you're not trustworthy, that's it. But mm-hmm. someone who's not trustworthy can shift. And I love that vision you have for them. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for that. Um, Now, Revis, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you?
2: You know, one of the things that I learned through going through the Mastermind Leadership was we learn more from our failures than we do many times from our successes. And I think that's something that I had in the back of my mind that I knew, but I'd never really taken the time to truly examine it. Mm -hmm. And so that makes me wonder sometimes have some of my failures truly been successes in my life? You know, things that I have not done well and things that I've had to try to go back and do over to truly learn from But in a sense, I think one of the biggest successes was uh, the experience that I talked about earlier at the elementary school. Mm -hmm. Being placed in that position at that moment in time was challenging, but it's been so beneficial for me professionally. Mm -hmm. I've developed so many good relationships, long and lasting relationships with friends from that venture in my career. I would not be where I am today if it were not for that experience because it challenged me. Mm -hmm. I had people that were in my close-knit trust group that challenged me Mm -hmm. to be better and not to settle for the status quo. And as a result, we created a plan. We created a process. We created a platform for us to be able to speak on all of those issues that were important to us as a school to grow. And that's been one of my biggest successes, the learning that Mm -hmm. occurred for me throughout that process.
0: You know, I love that because Mm -hmm. people assume, oh, Mm -hmm. you can learn from your experiences. And Maxwell says, no, it's not the experiences that teach you. It's reflecting on the experiences where you can grow, right? Because how many of us have gone through the same thing over and over and (laughs) and over again? And it's not until we kind of pull back or have someone speak into our lives or ask the questions and examine, then there's a possibility of growth. So I love Mm -hmm. that. Now, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture?
2: One of the things that I would tell a new leader is to be mentored. Surround yourself with people that have common experiences that have gone through what you're currently going through and can offer you perspective. Because sometimes we're so in the now moment that we can't really see outside of where we are. And I think being mentored by someone who has been there and done that will give you a totally different vantage point. I would encourage a new leader to develop relationships, to take time to talk to people, to get to know them, sort of what makes them tick. And that's one of the things, I guess, that sort of comes naturally for me, you know, being engaging and being a really good listener to others. And I think when that happens, that builds trust because people know that they feel like they can come and talk to you about what's going on. So many things are done from a work environment I think without even knowing sometimes that they're happening.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, that's some of the intan I'm a big intangible guy. You know, I'm big on intangibles because I think they're certainly important. Mm-hmm. We don't always check and measure them like we should, but I think that obviously someone having a good attitude is a good intangible to have, you know, someone having a positive mindset. But Back to speaking to a new leader, I would encourage them to not only be mentored, but to develop relationships with the people that they're going to work with. Because at the end of the day, whether they're at that job or at another job, it's those relationships that are going to be sustaining over the course of their life.
0: Right. Thank you so much for that. And I know that many of our leaders are new, or many of them are mentors who mentor new Mm -hmm. leaders. So I really Mm -hmm. appreciate that. Now, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean Mm -hmm. to you? And what are you learning now?
2: Well, I think it's simple. When you stop learning, you stop living. Mm. You know, I think that's probably the simplest way to say it. For me, I think we have to always be learning. And as you just mentioned, one of the quotes that we read from going through John Maxwell's leadership training was to understand that, look, it's not just the experiences, but it's reflecting upon those experiences as really being intentional to say, how did that happen? Why did that happen? What might I do differently if that were to happen again? What did I gain from that experience? And having an ear, going back to being mentored, having someone that you can vent to, I guess, from time to time Mm -hmm. to really say some of the things that you want to say and not have to be worried about the consequences of saying those things is important. Mm -hmm. And I think that as lifelong learners, We have to surround ourselves with lifelong learners, people that are willing to take those risks and are always pushing us to be better. Awesome.
0: That's great advice. Now, if there were something that you can change in education in the U.S., what would that be?
2: There are so many things, and I'm trying to narrow it down to maybe what is the most important thing.
0: Give me the top two or three.
2: One of those is teacher preparation. Mm. When you study other countries, Finland, Australia, for example, parts of Asia, Mm -hmm. and you compare America's teacher training, for example, the internship, if you will, Mm -hmm. that in some places lasts a month and a half to three months to places where teachers are forced to do their internship, their professional practice for a year.
0: Like a residency.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. That to me is a game changer. I know lots of people that went to school to be teachers that did not learn how to teach. They learned processes and they learned procedures, but they did not learn the day-to-day things of how to be an effective teacher from a pedagogy standpoint.
0: You're absolutely right.
2: And I think that going through a longer professional practice period would allow for some of that to take place. Mm -hmm. And it would allow for the college professors to then weed out people perhaps that aren't necessarily ready for this journey. Maybe not at that moment. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge thing to me, in my opinion.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But I also think that in a lot of ways we go about it the wrong way. And what I mean by that is I think we need to be trying to educate the heart as well as the head, so to speak.
0: So teaching students how to be good learners, to love to learn.
2: Yeah, and I think we need to develop those early on in children Mm -hmm. so that they are the learners. We know that we learn best not just by listening to others, but by teaching others. Mm -hmm. And the more opportunities that we can give children to understand that process of metacognition that's all involved, then the better learners they are going to be because we have made it to where we are, not just because we sat in a classroom for 60 minutes. You know, in a lot of instances, learn more outside of the classroom than we did in. Why? Because we were motivated to want to learn. And I think children have to be sort of trained to do that in many instances. I think lastly, we've got to give kids and I'm speaking particularly about children because I was asked this question yesterday Mm -hmm. about how can we change things in terms of dealing with children from poverty? I think that we've got to find a way to give children experiences, key Mm -hmm and meaningful experiences. One of my lifelong mottos is, if you can see it, you can be it. And -hmm. I think if we give children an opportunity to see what life is outside of their comfort zone, then they will then begin to dream and envision success in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. Many times children are having to climb over people just to get out of their homes and having to, to fight to get back in. And so many times they're focused on living, not learning. And as a teacher, we have to be empathetic to children that come from these types of backgrounds where living is priority, not learning. And we have to be able to try to relate to them. I've always said that teaching is about relatability and you've got to be able to relate the knowledge that you're trying to impart Mm -hmm. to someone in a way that they can understand it on their level. But those are, you know, two or three things that I think are important to me.
0: Great. Thank you so much for that. I know that was an unexpected question. (laughs) (laughs) Still, you did great. Um, Now, Revis, what have you read that our listeners should read and why?
2: One of the best books that I've picked up lately is Unmistakable Impact by Jim Knight. It was a game changer for me choice, voice, and dialogue. Wow. When Mm -hmm. I think about those three things and how Jim speaks to those three things in the book were certainly paramount to me. There's another book that's called The Dash, and it refers to making a difference in your life. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of this before. It's by Linda Ellis and a guy by the name of Mac Anderson. When you look at someone's headstone when they're buried, there's the year that they were born and the year that they Died, and then there's a dash. And what the book speaks to is the importance of life happens during the dash. And so, what are we doing during the course of our life to impact others? It resonates with me so much because it reminds me of so many of the things that I learned about reading the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It goes back to influence. Mm -hmm. How are you influencing others? Even having a life sentence. You know, what do you want your life to be about? How do you want to be remembered? And so it's taken me on a journey of reflection and certainly introspective in nature because it's made me really ask myself those hard questions. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I doing on a day-to-day basis to impact the lives of others? Those two books right now to me are at the forefront of my list.
0: And Revis,
2: you're (laughs) already
0: thinking about your legacy. Yes, And you're never too young to think about your legacy.
2: Right. Well, tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. Right. And so knowing that if I were to leave here tomorrow, then what would I be remembered for today? Mm -hmm. And I think unless we're consciously thinking about that, and again, that's not to be selfish or self-centered in a way, but when we think about how we want to be remembered I want to be remembered as someone that helps others, Right, you know, ultimately to be the very best that they can be. Yeah.
0: And so I want to say that I'm really proud, too, of what we're doing on the podcast because we're really creating an imprint for the legacy of our guests, Yes, um, which is really cool. I don't think audio will be obsolete down the road. I think it'll always be here. It's been around for a long time. Of course, I could be wrong, <laughs> but we're leaving that imprint, which is really cool. And it's something that I didn't think about when I started it, but I can see how that's happening. Right. So Revis, you have a lot of responsibilities. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind?
2: Okay, Lily, now you can't laugh when I say this.
0: I can't promise anything.
2: <laughs> One of the things that I do to get me in a good space mentally, other than prayer, obviously, is I talk to myself out okay. loud. <laughs> okay. Okay. I truly do. I have conversations with myself about conversations that I want to eventually have. I mentioned metacognition earlier and how important I think that that is. There's something about saying something out loud and hearing yourself say it that helps, at least for me, to process it a little bit differently. And I think that that keeps me aware. It keeps me mindful of what is going on. It's a way for me to remember things that are going on as I talk out loud to myself. If I've got a day, a to-do list, I'm going to read that out loud. So when I get distracted an hour or so later by something else that wasn't on my to-do list, I'm much more likely to remember the other thing that I had to do. Mm -hmm. Organization is always key. And I think that as good leaders and as just creatures of habit anyway, we have to get in good ruts. You know, mm-hmm. we say we use that term sometimes negatively getting in a rut. But I think we there are such thing as good ruts. We have to get in good ruts and develop good habits. And that's one of the things that helps me to keep my mind focused is just talking out loud. So whether I'm driving down the road or replying to an email, I may say that out loud to myself before I press send. I just think that keeps me sometimes from making mistakes that I might otherwise make just Mm -hmm. by trying to go through and rush and get things done.
0: What's funny about that is that that. a lot of us do that. (laughs) We've never put it on the podcast,
2: but you have. You are the first
0: trailblazer, and that's wonderful. But I think there's also some science to that, auto-suggestion and also declaring things out loud, um, which puts things in motion, So Mm -hmm. I do love that. And I do use
2: that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to get better sometimes at recording my thoughts because many times I'll have really good conversations and I go, how did I say that? What did I say that? And I just have to make sure that I'm trying to record it a little bit more like the doctors do.
0: And it's knowing that you're speaking to yourself and no one else. It's key. Once it shifts, then we're in a different conversation. Um, But Revis, you know, educational leaders, and you know this, put Mm -hmm. in long hours, Yes. What advice would you give about maintaining balance?
2: Well, balance is key. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about things on a scale, if something is more heavily outweighed than the other, what it falls off. Right. Right. And so in terms of life and in terms of maintaining our own sanity, it's important that we have balance. It's important that we find things that stimulate us outside of just the normal drive and passion that we have to do what we love. One of the things that I remember learning about teaching earlier was uh, as it relates to children, a quote that I heard, it said, their work is their play. And what that simply means is many times if we will engage children in having fun while they're learning, then they won't even realize that they're learning.
0: But isn't that how we are too?
2: I'm so glad that you mentioned that because isn't that a very easy correlation to make And so those things that we are most passionate about, uh, those things that we enjoy doing, we have to find time to make them happen. I know for me, whether it's playing golf or listening to music or, you know, just hanging out with the family, those types of things rejuvenate me a little bit and keep me plugged in. And it also keeps me focused on what really matters. Work is important, but my motto is always family first. I've tried to live that. I've tried to explain that to people that have worked with me because you only get one family. Right. And so for me, when those things happen, we got to be there for people and we got to live that. And so for me, that's what's important to me. And that's how I get my balance is by unplugging sometimes and getting back to family.
0: And sometimes do you need to be reminded that you need to unplug?
2: Absolutely. I don't do it enough. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes any amount of greatness comes with making some sacrifices. Mm -hmm. You know, it does mean that you got to stay up late or you got to get up early or you got to work a little harder. You got to read a little bit more. You got to do a little bit more, but not at the cost of forgetting what's most important. Mm -hmm. And that's a very delicate line to balance. I think as we all struggle with it, probably one of the reasons why you asked this question Because so many people are struggling to find that balance in their life.
0: Right. And one of the key things, too, is as leaders, especially in education, we tend to neglect ourselves. Yes. We tend to not sleep well, not eat well, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not exercise. And all those things I've done and I speak about because I'm so passionate. If you don't take care of you, then there's no you to take care of other people. That's right. Um, And it may seem very simple, but when we're in it we lose sight of that.
2: And so I want
0: to keep reminding us.
2: (laughs) Thank you for the reminder.
0: So if you were to go back in time, Revis, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
2: Two words, be patient. Mm. It's so funny that question now makes me think about the last question Mm -hmm. and, and finding balance. I think early on in my career, I was chasing something I had these degrees and these positions and things that I would aspired to do and aspired to be that I often did not take the time to live in that moment and to really appreciate what was going on around me mm-hmm. personally and professionally. And, and also from a professional standpoint, I think being patient is important because we need to take time to master before we move. You know, we need to take time to really get good at our craft before we decide to move and to do something different. And I think many times if we're not patient, then we'll miss that. Right. And so for me, what I would say to a younger Riva Skirtman is to simply be patient. Things will happen in due time. And if it's meant for you, then you'll get it.
0: Wonderful. Um, being patient, I think that speaks to a lot of us because we oftentimes don't like the process.
2: Right. When we were studying the 21 irrefutable
0: laws of leadership, Mm -hmm, that law of mm -hmm. process, I had to really (laughs) embrace. And now it's become one of my favorites. So I I really appreciate that. Now, Revis, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Well, this goes back to one of the other questions you mentioned about advice and, uh, and trying to offer advice to leaders and whatnot. And I probably said this, but maybe just in a different way. Iron sharpens iron. And I think when we can constantly surround ourselves with people that are going to challenge us, then we will continue to grow. I pride myself on teamwork and team building and understanding that rarely am I ever, you know, the smartest person in the room. But what I am able to do is to take ideas from others and piece them together. What I am able to do is to not always make things to have to be about me. It doesn't always have to be my idea for it to be the right idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can constantly, in our personal life and in our professional life, surround ourselves with experts, if you will. I've got a, a closet of experts and people that I call when I'm in crisis mode, or if I just need some simple advice,
1: right.
2: You know, whether it be family, whether it be financial, whether it be faith, Regardless, whatever those realms are, I know people that know those things. And so when I am in need of one of those things in one of those areas, I pick up the phone and I call a mentor and I say, hey, help me with this. I'm struggling with this particular problem. As I went back to trust and and asking good questions, many times those people are able to ask me good questions to get me back to center, to keep me focused on what my original goal and intent is. I would encourage your listeners, I would encourage any, whether it's a new leader or somebody that's been leading for a long time, to continue to surround themselves with good people. Doesn't mean you always have to agree, because many times we learn from having to debate, that's what it goes back to, iron sharpens iron. You have to be able to say, okay, well, what am I bringing to the table, and is that something that someone else is saying that I can ultimately adopt and make me better?
0: Beautifully said, Rivas. I've had such a great time. And I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners.
2: The pleasure has been all mine, Lily. This has been a wonderful experience. And um, I'm just thankful that I've come to know you and can call you a friend and can add you to that list of some of those mentors that I have that can begin to help me build and grow my leadership. You
0: got it. And the same goes here. Great time. Thank you so much, Rivas. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. And although it's been around for centuries, coaching to develop effective leadership skills is fairly new to education and grossly underutilized. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.